Welcome to the book club where the size is just right, the books aren't too long, and you never need to host. That's our job. We invite best-selling and award-winning authors to discuss their stories, their works, and whatever else that might bounce around a writer's mind or flow through their pen. And we bring them free to some of the more than 100 public libraries in the Twin Cities metro area. This is the book club where we don't have to argue about what the author meant. They can tell us. The book club that doesn't require a clean house or wine and cheese. And in this book club, if you haven't read the book, it's all right. We don't judge slackers or fakers or hummus dip makers. I'm your host, Slade Kemet, and you can consider the book club rewritten because this is Club Book. This Club Book podcast features Nikki Giovanni at St. Paul Public Library's Arlington Hills Community Center. Over a prolific career spanning five decades, activist and educator Nikki Giovanni has penned nearly 20 popular poetry collections, including more recently, Acolytes in 2007, Bicycles, Love Poems in 2009, and Chasing Utopia in 2013. She is also the author or co-author of 10 children's books, including several profiling seminal moments from black history. Prominent among other awards and accolades, Giovanni is a five-time NAACP Image Award winner, holds the Langston Hughes Medal for Outstanding Poetry, and is the first ever recipient of the Rosa Parks Woman of Courage Award. She is currently serving as a Distinguished Professor of English at Virginia Tech. As a disclaimer, this podcast contains explicit language that may not be appropriate for children. first thing you learn in this business is don't touch the mic. And so I'm always very cautious about it. I'm glad to be back in Minneapolis. I, uh, wherever. <laughs> North. <laughs> well, I taught at the U one summer uh, with my friend uh, Marveline Hughes when she was a vice president. And some of you know Dr. Hughes, and she went on to be the president of Dillard. And uh, of course, thank God for Dillard that Marveline was there because, you know, Hurricane Rita hit. And then before you got the, the campus uh, evacuated from Hurricane Rita, Hurricane uh, Katrina hit. And uh, Marveline is incredibly um, organized and, and does a lot of things and a lot of people like her and, and she's a sister to me. And, and it was the only time, and I just share for that reason, uh, the only time I've wished that I was rich. Uh, and that's the truth, you know, otherwise you just put a credit card and don't care, you know. I, I never did, I said, no, people get crazy about money, it's just money. But the one time I really did wish was when Hurricane Katrina hit because uh, Dillard took the hit. And we do know enough about the United States, you know, the United States doesn't care about small liberal arts black colleges, you know, let's just face that and go on. And she needed, you know, she needed some help. And I tried to think of what I could do, and of course you can always do a fundraiser and things like that, but I don't understand the internet. And so nobody can email me. It makes people e angry, you know. I emailed you and you didn't answer. So what do you understand about I don't email? What, what, <laughs> what is unclear, you know? But what I did, I just want to share that. What I did, because it, it kind of worked, and it's something that many of us can think about. I just went through my library because I've been collecting books forever and ever and ever. And I had my, mo my mother's past. I have her books and stuff. And so I went through and I pulled all my first editions. 
And uh, I sent like 1,100 books down, first edition. So I told Marvelyn she could sell them if she wants. You know, she can do anything she wants to do. But, but first editions, many of them signed, uh, actually are quite valuable. So it was the best that I could do. And I walked in here, and I just wanted to share that to you, because I walked in here with this. <laughs> and uh, I, I really love it. I, and I'm just being uh, intimidated, probably, by the fact that I'm seeing people with white hair like mine. But I think every, <laughs> I'm an old woman. I think every writer wants to teach a writer. And I, I just think it's one of the things that we, you know, I don't think that actors want to teach actors. You know, there are a lot of sculptors don't give a damn if they do. But I think all writers want to teach a writer. And I've had the an incredible pleasure of teaching Kwame Alexander. And I hope that you know Kwame because, one, he's a great kid. And his new book, The Crossover, ought to win something. I've been writing letters because he, he should win an Image Award or something. It's an, an, just an incredible, it's the first hip-hop novel. And we usually think of hip-hop as, you know, bad words and bitches, you know. You know you, we think of hip-hop in a negative way. But hip-hop is a tone and a language. And the crossover is about a, a family and how they're, I, if, if I tell you the thing, y'all mess up the plot. But it really is, no, it's, it's, it's a fabulous book. And I'm so happy for him. But he does a program uh, in Ghana. He's been doing a program in Ghana for the last five years in Konko, which is up. You fly into uh, Accra, and then you go up country. And, uh, I went up, and of course nobody knows me, the kids didn't know me. The kids were reading my group that he put me with, were reading I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And you know, kids are really sweet, and you have to, you know, I mean, you have to have kids because they grow up. And I'm not a big kid person, but you know, you have them. And so, <laughs> and the kids were like, you know, we're reading Miss Angelo, do you know this book? And I said, I actually know Miss Angelo. <laughs> and they went, Ooh. <laughs> so Maya was still with us, then I called Maya. I said, you just made me a hit, because I, I got 14 girls in Ghana who think I'm God because I know you. So, <laughs> so I asked her, you know, will you sign 14 books for me? And she said, of course, yes. And I called Toni Morrison, because the next book that they were reading was The Bluest Eye. And I said, Toni, I just explained it to her. And so Toni gave me the 14 books for the kids, and I gave them cotton candy on a rainy day. And so, well, I want them to know, you know. <laughs> but it was fun because, you know, these are kids. We built, Kwame built the library, and we have like, you know, 1,500 books in the library, and it's very, very nice. And they wanted to do something for me. And so they were like, well, what could we do for it? And so they gave me this. Now, I don't know what you know, because we're here, and Minnesota's a prosperous state, but for those 14 girls to have been able to purchase this, which probably cost about $20, they worked very hard that whole year. And I was just so thrilled that they did, and I just thought I would share it because uh, we're here at a library, and we in the United States get to take libraries for, for granted. You know, we, we take warmth, we, we actually take water for granted. And uh, there are just people in the world who actually can only use a drop or two, and th this is not my thing tonight, but I just wanted to share that. Uh, with you because I, it's nice to be in a liberal state. And uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> so I, uh, no, you know, I live in Virginia, so we, we, we squeaked Mark through. Uh, that was very, uh, Ed Gillespie, you know, was running against Mark Warner. And, and uh, I'm a Democrat, so we vote early and often. And uh, <laughs> you have to do that. And I know, I, I said that this year I was going to start uh, all of my speeches. I, again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm dealing with mostly grown people right now. I talk to a lot of college students. But for those of us who are young and who don't, get a passport. You have to have a passport. 
It's the most important thing that it, it's only $125 to get your photograph. You have to have a passport. I teach at Virginia Tech, and we have campuses all over the world. And I've been trying to convince, of course, our president. I'm not doing very well right now, but he hasn't fired me, and he still has to listen to it. That every time, every time we leave campus, we should take a student, no matter where we're going. I was fortunate in that I could take four students to Ghana. And somebody's going to raise their hand and say, weren't you worried about Ebola? I'm worried about policemen shooting black boys in the back. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have to keep these kids moving. And we in the United States, if we are not going to live up to any kind of ideal, then there's no reason for this United, there's no reason for the states. The only reason we're here is that somehow there was an idea that happened. And one of the things that I'm doing, and, and again, I, I, I just share this because maybe somebody can join, maybe somebody can do whatever, but uh, I'm, I, get to meet, I get to meet next Thursday with NASA. And I am thrilled because I have been, I bitch a lot. And <laughs> that's what I do. And I was really, really bitching that we in, in the United, we have not sent any writers to Antarctica. We have sent scientists to Antarctica. We've sent engineers, as you well know. And we've sent a lot of photographers to Antarctica. But we've never sent writers. And I want to take 10 or 12 Appalachian writers. Not, I just don't want writers, because if you, you spend all your life in, in Los Angeles or something, nothing against that, or New York or something, you don't have the sense of dealing with the quiet. You guys would be eligible if we, if we get our program going. <laughs> well, you would. Not, not the many, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's something that happens with the quiet. And if we could send, I, I want to do the Appalachians because we're used to being up in the hills and we're used to being alone. And what I want out of it, if, if, if I'm meeting with Dr. Gordon and Dr. Robertson and Dr. Miller, and so we cleared from, they said, well, we would like for you to meet with the top three people just to, and I said, I clear for you, which is what we're, we're doing. I'll be there next week and I hope I can make a good case. Because if we can do that, what I want is the, uh, a bell to ring, like at about 6 o'clock in the morning. And I want a wake up at 6. It's going to be midnight sun. And do you all get midnight sun here? No. Well, you, I mean, you're getting, you know, but midnight sun, it's not a harvest moon. You know, we in the south are used to the harvest moon. It's a little bit darker than harvest moon. It's like about 5.30 in the morning. I want them to come from their dreams to their computer. And I want the first thing, what did you dream about? What did you think about? What, that's what I want. Everything else that happens during the, during the day belongs to them. So we're going to get poetry, we're going to get plays, we're going to get something else that's going to be different. That's fine. So that's the, the incentive for you to come to Antarctica with me is all I want is your dreams in the morning. Because we don't know anything about space. And the only way that we can know about space is if we go to a place where we can replicate some of it. We know we cannot replicate, which is what we absolutely need, middle passage. We know that whatever it is that America is, actually, in fact, whatever it is that Earth is, which is what the book that I'm working on now, we know that it comes from Middle Passage. We know that the people who were captured and enslaved in Africa, we look at slavery as a bad idea, which you know, God in heaven knows it was. So you have to ask yourself, what good came of it? And the good that came of it was that black people came to America. Because if somebody else had asked us, y'all want to go to America, we'd say, hell no, what for? <laughs> we ain't lose nothing in America. We wouldn't, if they hadn't come to get us, we wouldn't come. And if we hadn't come, America would have looked like what Europe looks like, what anything else looks like. Just been another white country that people, you know, fight each other about. And so when we came, 
we've had a way, what we did that I think is, is fascinating, I, I, I can't, I'm being inarticulate and I don't mean to be. What we did that I don't understand right now, to be honest, is that somehow from being put down in those dungeons and brought over here and brought up and stripped naked and really being abused, probably the first word any black person understood was sold and sent out to some plantation with some people we didn't know, some who beat us, some who tried to befriend us. You understand what I'm We built a family. We created a language. And as I stand here now, the language of planet Earth is hip hop. I started this, this speech with Kwame. You can go anywhere on Earth and you're gonna hear the cadence of hip hop. That's an incredible thing. And so I'm saying, as we're going into space, because I'm a space freak, what do we need? Well, what we need is to take whatever that energy was that allowed that transition between I am enslaved and abused to I have to find a God, a song, and a freedom and, a, and create something and come to this nation. This is what we're gonna need when we go into space. Now, we know we're not gonna go into Mars because we've been to Mars. And we know we can't live on the Earth, uh, on the moon because we've been there. We just landed that satellite, you know, on that asteroid, and I'm fabulous. They made a mistake, but hell, they got it there. <laughs> and when you think about the yellow sun, we see one side of it that comes to us. But the yellow sun is a round ball. There's another side to it. What does it shine on? And who can we send to find life there? I would go. I would love to do the space station. Somebody said, Nick, you get killed. I said, no, baby, I live off of 81. I'll get killed on 81. <laughs> a truck, I will, a truck driver would be half asleep and run over me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have to think about our neighbors on Earth, but we have to think about our neighbors out of Earth. And I'm tired of writers writing about aliens as if something is there to, to hurt us. Why do we always think that? Ooh, it wants to eat us up. Nobody wants to eat us. <laughs> It is the truth. Half of us are becoming vegetarian. We don't want to eat any kind of meat. Isn't that true? We're making these changes. I get sick of that because they're making everybody afraid of something that we have. What are we afraid of? Life is about laughter, living, and loving. And again, it's a great history. Black history is a great history. And if it wouldn't be for your basic racism, all of us would know that by now. This is the 21st century. We would have much more of appreciation for the dreams of black people and the courage and boldness of whites. Once we keep putting that together, we're gonna to end up with a nation that makes sense. We're gonna end up with a planet that makes a little more sense, in my opinion. I just thought I'd, <laughs> I just thought I'd share that. <laughs> That's the truth. I, uh, I'm just excited. I mean, you can see that I'm really excited about that. I gotta go out to California, then I get to go to NASA. And um, gosh, I really, I mean, wish me luck. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a really good idea to do that. I wrote uh, Chasing Utopia because my mother died. And I recently, in going through things, I found her wedding ring. Mommy was little, and I found her wedding ring. And uh, you can see Mommy is little. And uh, I took it down to my jeweler. It had to be cut down just a smidgen. Uh, I sometimes wear my father's wedding ring, and I wear that on this end. But it was a, he, she, she gave him a diamond, and he gave her this. And so I've been, I've been wearing this. But, uh, it was a bad year, and uh, I, I'm 71, so I get to cry about everything. And <laughs> you know, you, when you're 50, you don't cry. You know, you suck it up and do what you have to do. But you're 71, you just sit around and bawl. You know, <laughs> everybody. No, my dog is in the hospital, and her name is Alex. And uh, yeah, thank you. 
But I called, uh, Marta, her doctor called me this morning at like 7.30, but I was flying up here, so I didn't get the message till I got here. But uh, she's better. Alexandra is a, um, just let me share this if you don't mind for a second. Alexandra is a little uh, uh, Yorkie, and Yorkies are delicate anyway. For those of you who have Yorkies, you know that. And I was with my, my dog, Wendy, who was a Karen Terrier, and I think that there's no better dog on earth than the Karen. And Wendy lived to 18, and then Wendy died. And then Mommy died. And Mommy died in June. Then my sister Gary died in August. And then my Aunt Anne died in, no, in October. And then, as you know, Rosa Parks, who was a friend, died in that November. So it was like, and I thought I handled everything pretty well. And I was down in Roanoke one day, and I said, oh, I'm going to go by the dog place. There's, there's a, it's not a, quite a puppy mill, but it's not much different. But I went by there and had the, she was there. And I was looking at the dogs, because next dog is going to be a rescue dog. I mean, it finally you know, hit me that that's what I need to do, because they're healthier. <laughs> they're survivors. And she was in a, uh, uh, like an incubator. And I said, what's going on with the little, uh, it's one of those, you know, What's going on with the, with, with the little Yorkie there? I said, oh, she's got a lung problem. Her lungs didn't develop right. And I said, well, what are you, what are you doing? Well, we're going to see how she works out. But you know how you hear something? I said, they're going to kill the dog. Because what they care about is that she's a thoroughbred and they're going to make money. I said, can I, can I see her? You know, because they know me. I mean, you know, you're in and out. I said, can I see her? I said, well, you know, she's under. I said, ah, let me see the dog. You know, come on. And so they handed it to me. You don't know it because I'm carrying this today, but I never carry a pocketbook. But I had my credit card in pocket. I had my jeans on. I just reached in the back and I said, okay, here's the deal. This is my credit card or you can call the cops. You can do, fix everything, either one you want, but the dog and I are leaving. I <laughs> 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 thinking about leaving that dog there. And I took her. Marta's been taking care of her ever since, but she does have compromised lungs. And I had lung cancer, so I have a great sympathy for it. And she had a, a, a problem a couple of days ago, and she's got pancreatitis now, so she has to have intense uh, liquids. And so we all spent all day yesterday crying because we thought we were going to lose her, but Marta's an incredible doc uh, doctor. So she called me this morning to say that uh, Alex is doing really well, and I don't get home until Monday, so she'll be in the hospital until Monday, so she'll, she'll be all right. But I was just mentioning that to mention. It's been a lot of sadness. Well, Mommy died, and I was very close to my mother, and, and so, you know, I was trying to, after you do what you have to do, because, you know, I mean, some of you, you have to sell the house and you have to sell the car. You have to do the furniture. And there were things like finding the ring. I just collected her jewelry because I just didn't have the heart to go through it. And then when I finally did, I came up with that. You know, so it's some, some things make you smile and stuff like that. But we had Wendy then. I had Wendy then. And one day I said to Wendy, you know, because you're sad, losing your mother. And it's not, and I mean no disrespect to the men, but you kind of expect to lose your father. I mean, they always, men always die because they're always out doing something. And, and, and you know, they don't take care. Well, they don't. They have ulcers and things, and they don't take care of themselves. But <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Isn't that true? Of course it's true. And so I, I said to Wendy, because I was just trying to, you don't bring it to closure because, you know, you no more forget your mother or your father and your daughter. You, you don't forget things that die, you know. And, 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 or you don't forget things that you love is what I should say. And I said to Wendy, you know, you know, why don't we, my mother was a beer drinker. I am not. And I said to Wendy, why don't we drink a beer for the old gal? You know, and I just thought it might cheer me up a little bit, even though, as I said, I don't like beer. I know why the, the, the Irish consider beer food, you know. <laughs> and 
I drink wine, and that was, that's one of the things going to Antarctica. I was asking uh, Dr. Gordon, we, we, have to, we have to have wine. <laughs> I can't take, you know, 10 writers down there, 12 writers down to Antarctica without wine. So <laughs> that's the truth. I want to go out to Santiago. So, because the Chileans are so wonderful, you know. And I'm not a big fan of Rio, and I mean no disrespect for anybody who's from Rio in the room, but I'm not a big fan of Rio, but I want to go out to Chile, and we go out to Santiago, spend the day in Santiago, pick up, you know, three or four cases of wine, and then, <laughs> well, yeah, then you go down to Yashaya, you know, for those of you who've been, and then the, they'll pick us up in Yashaya and fly us over. So that we'll, <laughs> but I said to, I said to the dog, you know, let's, why don't we drink a beer for the old gal? You know, I just thought it would be a fitting thing, you know, because you're sad. And, and you, you think, well, okay, I need to admit that I'm sad and find a way to, you're not gonna get over being sad because I miss, there are just times and, and things have happened recently. And I found myself, you know, when Virginia Tech had the, the tragedy, I, I, I literally saw my hand reach to call my mother. I, you know, you just, you, there are just times you want your mother. And since I don't like beer, and I don't want you to think I'm a snob, because I'm not a snob, I'm really not. But if you do something you don't like, you have to do you know, the, the best. And I thought, if I'm gonna drink a beer, I want the number one beer. And so that's what started. So I went up to BNN, we have a beer at Barnes and Noble, and I went up to BNN and they have this section, and, and I said, you know, I'm just looking for a book on beer, I wanna know the number one beer. I looked at it, well, you know, and the number one beer is Utopia. You know, and, and it's uh, actually, it's a Sam Adams, and it's made every other year. Utopia will be made in 15. It was not made in 14, it's been odd years. And so I thought, okay, this is great. Utopia's number one beer. It's $350 a pint, but, yeah, it's, it's $350 a pint. It's a limited edition, you know, but, you know, nobody drinks, you know, you don't chug a lug, you don't sit at the, <laughs> at the bar and, and do that. <laughs> so, I called, uh, I live in, 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 uh, in Blacksburg and we have a vintage, it's called Vintage Cellar, and I called Keith, you know, it's one of those, you're not thinking. I said, hey Keith, it's, it's, it's Nikki because he also sells wine, he does all of that. And I said, hey Keith, it's, it's Nikki and you know, I'd like to, uh, you know, have you to put aside a utopia and I'll, I'll come in and pick it up. And he said, you know, Nikki, we don't, we don't sell utopia. And you know, when people tell you things you don't want to hear, you say it slower and louder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you never, you know. No, I would like to purchase a utopia. And so he's gonna do the same thing. We never get a utopia. And so that went on for a minute just for me to finally understand. They won't sell, I mean, I was thinking, okay, order it. And it's like, no, Nikki, it won't come here. And I finally got in my head, I said, okay. There's a place in California, if you're ever looking for a great wine, it's called Bounty Hunter. And it is, you can go online, for it's incredible, they, they have everything. So I called Bounty Hunter, and I said, hey, it's Giovanni in Virginia, they know me, you know. I said, it's Giovanni in, <laughs> And uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for Utopia. And you could just hear that chill come through. It was like, that's a beer. And I'm like, yeah, and you're a Bounty Hunter, you know. And, uh, not the, we don't sell beer. And I was like, okay, and I was like, okay. And finally I have a friend, because I don't do the internet, but I have a friend who does, and we started looking it up and stuff, and we found it in Canada. And I've, I don't fly the flag, I don't know what you know about me, but I'm just, 
I'm an American, I was born here, I like us, I think we have good ideas, I think we can do better and things like that, but I'm not like, ooh. On the other hand, I thought, I am not gonna buy an American beer in Canada. <laughs> I was not, is that crazy? I'm not gonna do it, I have my pride. And so now I'm on the road, because I'm a you know, book and I'm, I'm going, and I'm doing what I do best, which is bitch. And I am, <laughs> I am bitching about Sam Adams. So I was doing an NPR, and I was like in Connecticut or something. You know, Sam Adams is located right there in Mass, Massachusetts. And I was bitching and bitching, and the studio phone rang. You know, it was one of those things. And the guy said, well, we got a call, you know. And it turns out it was the brewmeister from Sam Adams. And I guess they had been hearing about it, I don't know. And he said, tell Dr. Giovanni, because I went over there, tell Dr. Giovanni we are sending her Utopia and the glasses to drink it out of. <laughs> Which they did. <laughs> so now I'm going to Africa with my friend Kwame, my former student. And so this, it, it gets to be just loads and loads of fun dealing with this, this thing here. But Queen Juanita, who is the queen of the village, Conco, said, and she's here in the Valley, so she said, oh, I would like to, because she does drink beer, I would like to drink the Utopia. And I said, I, I would, I mean, she's a queen and I'm not. I said, I would, I would love, you know, to have you drink the Utopia. She said, you must bring it when you come. I said, oh, no. I know TSA. And I, <laughs> I mean no disrespect for those of you who work for TSA or know people who do it. But that, that would have never made it out of my, I mean, never would have. And I said to her, you know, you, if you come here, it'll, it'll do it. We in the black community, there's not that many black people here tonight, but we all in the black community know that there's an expression, God is good all the time. <laughs> and Queen Juanita had a dear friend, has a dear friend, who lives in Barbados, and she got sick. And so Queen Juanita wanted to go and see about her friend. So she was in Barbados, and quite naturally, look at Barbados, you're halfway, you know, it's only Barbados, what, three and a half hours from D.C. So she called Kwame, because that's who she works with. She said, do you think that Nikki would, you know, invite us? I said, are you kidding, of course. So she flew to D.C., and Kwame brought her. I'm a good cook. Uh, driving over for me, it, uh, D.C. is about a three and a half hour drive. And so they came over and I'm a good cook and so I really, that made a, a rack of lamb that was just really beautiful and, you know, I was really thrilled. Because you don't, I met Queen Elizabeth, but that's the only two queens I know. And so, <laughs> it is. So I was just, I was thrilled. And then after dinner, we all had the, and we drank the Utopia. But it's not only expensive, but it's like, you know, 300 degrees or something. We were sitting in my, I mean, it was like, you know, you drink that and you fall out. And <laughs> what I remembered was we had it and we did a toast and everybody smiled. And then we poured it and the glasses are like, it's like a brandy. And it has a backbite. I, I do this because that's the only way I can, like um, butterscotch. It, it, it was just fabulous. And I remember pouring the second glass. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> and the next morning I woke up, the queen was sleeping there. Kwame had stretched out on the floor. <laughs> it, it had knocked us out. But I, I wrote this, uh, I wrote about it, uh, because also I, I, I was speaking for, for uh, the CIA, and a men killed me. And uh, they, they, the men are funny. And um, I don't know why the CIA asked me, but I'm an American, and no, I'll speak for any damn body, you know. I mean, I don't mean it, but you know. 
So they had asked me, and I was looking for, um, I'm still chasing Utopia. And I met Leon Panetta. Leon's a nice guy. And I, I, I said, uh, Mr. Director, I'm, uh, I wonder if you could help me. And he said, sure, because they can find anything. I said, I'm looking for uh, Utopia. <laughs> I did. Well, he's got the computer. And you know how men treat women. And so he just kind of patted me and said, look deep within yourself. <laughs> no, Leon. But I had a good time. I really loved the book. And it, uh, I had a good time with it. When we decided to do the cover, I've always wanted one of the cover is that uh, the map, right? And the, the photographer has a son. And he's a nice kid. I really like I'm trying to write a book about him. His son, actually, went to school about three blocks from uh, on 9-11. So when that building came down, the kid headed toward, which was very smart of him, Harlem, which is why he didn't get killed in that. But I, I, it, it, to me, I, I, I need to rewalk it. I just haven't had time to. I really want to write a book about him coming home because they live in, in Brooklyn, but he had to come home that way. And so you know Rob was going crazy wondering where his son was. But I wanted that, and he wanted it. I knew that. This is called Photo Junk. And I don't know if you've seen my book, um, Bicycles, which I really love, because bicycles, it's called bicycles because love requires trust and balance, which is what a bicycle requires. And we didn't have an argument over the bicycle because the bicycle is photo junk too. Nobody else can be photographed with that bicycle because everybody's gonna say, what you doing with Nikki's bicycle? <laughs> it's photo junk. But this is one of the things that he said to me, well, you know, um, we'd be happy to take the, 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 the globe off your hands. And I said, I've always wanted a globe and I don't know that you know that Authors don't make any money. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but we don't. And so anything you can beat the book company for, you should. <laughs> so, and I said, no, I said, I want it. But I knew I couldn't count on him to send it to me. So I sent my people over. We did the photo shoot, which I love. I sent my people over to pick it up, and we mailed it, and I have it. It sits in my house. And I'm happy because now I, I daydream all the time. And you, when you start to you know, look at the map and you start to, I have taken, that's another story. I, don't, I didn't mean to do this, but the other thing that I've been doing is going around the world on the world. So the only thing that counts is land and sea. Air doesn't count. So I took the QE2 several years ago now, and I went from England you know, to America, so we can handle that. What I really want to do, just haven't had the time, I can't put the, the things together right now, is of course I would love to come from Ghana, from Cape Coast Castle, to come over to Maryland, you know, just to do that. Of course, I'm not going to do it on the dungeon, but just the idea of being on the water that long to see what people think. The next thing that I really hope I do is Antarctica. And if we do that, I did Antarctica, by the way, uh, two years ago now. I took my 90, she was 91 years old. My Aunt Agnes called me and she said, Nikki, you know, I've been, uh, everybody's gone. Agnes and, and, and Allison and I are the only three left at this point. And she said, Nikki, you know, I've been on all the continents. She's married to a minister, so he had been on. She said, you know, I've been on all six continents except Antarctica, that would be my seventh continent. I said, Ag, you're 91 years old. If we don't go soon, one of us won't be here. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was reality. And so that's what we decided to do. So uh, I called my cousin, Allison, who lives in California. I said, Ag wants to go, you wanna go with us because that way we get a four and we can play, you know, bid whist. And <laughs> you have to have something. So we did, we flew down through Rio and then we went down to Ushaya and then we went over, you know, we were on a boat and then we went over 
And we got lucky on Drake's Passage because they tell you Drake's Passage is really terrible. But uh, we went over in Drake's Passage and then you come out, go back to Ushia, we went up to Chile. So, you know, she got, I've only been, I haven't been to Australia, so I've only been on six. And eventually I would love to, of course, sail to Australia, which is neither here nor there. But I just wanted to kind of share, because you're here and there are writers in this room. And a part of what you have to do is, is keep imagining. And no matter how silly some things might be, it might work. But some things, even if they don't work, it was worth doing. Am I? And I think that that's what's important. And I think that you all are very lucky. And then I want to read some poetry or something. But I think that this generation and those of us who are functioning with them are very lucky because books have, got <clears throat> books have gone back to being what books originally were which is, if you go back to Cicero, what is that, 479 AD, if I'm not mistaken, Cicero wrote his own book, and he published it. I mean, that therefore it was published. Cicero, of course, being Roman, had Greek slaves who were literate. So if America had had enough sense to make their slaves literate instead of trying to enforce ignorance, we would probably be way to hell better along. Because what would happen is that, <laughs> that's the truth, is that the slaves, would copy the manuscripts. So the reason that we still have an original manuscript is that Cicero's slaves copied it and we had copies. Now we have come from 479 AD to 2014, but we really, maybe probably 2000 would be, uh, uh, where you can publish your book on the internet the same way and get your story out. And so people are looking for publishers, but publishers didn't come in until Gutenberg. It's a very new industry, and it's not a necessary. I, I have a publisher because I published my own first book, Black Feeling, Black Talk, and I came to places like this and I read it, and people were kind enough to buy it. I could, at, at that point, print 100 books for $100 at a 10% discount. I could sell the book for a dollar. I'm going to lose a dollar on every book. So the one thing you know, and this is just basic business, is separate your money from the book. Never confuse the two, or you can be sorry, because the United States government has a thing called taxation and they will come after you. You don't want that to happen. What you want to do is get your book out because when you go back to press, when you sell that 100 books, in order to go back to press and get your second 100 books, it's only going to cost you about 50 to $60. Therefore, you're now $40 to the good. Take away your 10, that's 30. Take away your other 10, so you made $20. And you say, well, Nikki, that doesn't matter, but 50 years from now, you actually can buy food, put clothes on your back, <laughs> and ultimately, somebody else will come and help you out. And if they don't, you were doing what you were doing. And I think that that's important too because sometimes, especially we or minorities, whether we're women or whether we're brown or whether we're yellow, we think I need to talk to the publisher so that they will agree to publish my book. When you look at some of the crap that they publish, you know that you don't want to be a part of that. You don't. You, I, I'm so tired of people getting murdered and their heads getting cut off and people getting raped and beaten. There has to be something that lifts us up. And we forget that, that it's important to uplift human beings. It's important to, to show that there is a future and that we're going to it. So I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> I wrote a poem speaking of space. It's called Quilting the Black-Eyed Pea. We're going to Mars. We're going to Mars for the same reason Marco Polo rocketed to China, for the same reason Columbus trimmed his sails on a dream of spices, for the very same reason Shackleton was enchanted with penguins, for the reason we fall in love. It's the only adventure. 
We're going to Mars because Perry couldn't go to the North Pole without Matthew Henson, because Chicago couldn't be a city without Jean-Baptiste de Sable, because George Washington Carver and his peanut were the right partners for Booker T. It's a life-seeking thing. We're going to Mars because whatever is wrong with us will not get right with us, so we journey forth carrying the same baggage. But every now and then leaving one little bitty thing behind, maybe drop torturing hunchbacks here, maybe drop lynching Billy Bud there, maybe not whipping Uncle Tom to death, maybe resisting global war, one day looking for prejudice to slip, one day looking for hatred to tumble by the wayside, one day maybe the whole community will no longer be vested in who sleeps with whom. Maybe one day the Jewish community will be at rest, the Christian community will be content, the Muslim community will be at peace, and all the rest of us will get great meals at holy days and learn new songs and sing in harmony. We're going to Mars because it gives us a reason to change. If Mars came here, it would be ugly. Nations would band together to hunt down and kill Martians. And being the stupid, undeserving life forms that we are, we would also hunt down and kill what would be termed Martian sympathizers. <laughs> As if the fugitive slave law wasn't bad enough then, as if the so-called war on terrorism isn't pitiful now. When do we learn and what does it take to teach us? Things cannot be what we want, when we want, as we want. Other people have ideas and inputs and why won't they leave Rap Brown alone? The future is ours to take. We're going to Mars because we have the hardware to do it. We have the rockets and the fuel and the money and the stuff. And the only reason NASA is holding back is they don't know if what they send out Will, get what, will be what they get back. So let me slow this down. Mars is one year of travel to get there, plus one year of living on Mars, plus one year to return to Earth, equals three years of Earthlings being in a tight space, going to an unknown place with an unsure welcome awaiting them. Tired muscles, unknown and unusual foods, harsh conditions, and no known landmarks to keep them human, only a hope and a prayer that they will be shadowed beneath a benign hand, and there is no historical precedent for that except this. The trip to Mars can only be understood through black Americans, I say. The trip to Mars can only be understood through black Americans. The people who were captured and enslaved immediately recognized the men who chained and whipped them and herded them into ships so tightly packed there was no room to turn, no privacy to respect, no tears to fall without landing on another. We're not kind and gentle and concerned for the state of their souls, no. The men with whips and chains were understood to be killers, feared to be cannibals, known to be sexual predators. The captured knew they were in trouble in an unknown place without communicable abilities with a violent and capricious species. But they could look out and still see signs of home. They could still smell the sweetness in the air. They could see the clouds floating above the land they loved. But there reached a point where the captured could not only not look back, they had no idea which way back might be. There was nothing in the middle of the deep blue water to indicate which way home might be. And it was that moment when a decision had to be made. Do they continue forward with a resolve to see this thing through, or do they embrace the waters and find another world? In the belly of the ship, a moan was heard, and someone picked up that moan, and a song was raised. And that song would offer comfort and hope and tell the story. When we go to Mars, it's the same thing. It's middle passage. When the rocket red glares, the astronauts will be able to see themselves pull away from Earth. As the ship goes deeper, they will see a sparkle of blue. And then one day, not only will they not see Earth, they won't know which way to look. And that's why NASA needs to call us. They need to call black America. They need to ask, how did you calm your fears? How were you able to decide you were human, even when everything said you were not? 
How did you find the comfort in the face of the improbable to make the world you came to your world? How was your soul able to look back and wonder? And we will tell them what to do. To successfully go to Mars and back, you will need a song. Take some Billie Holiday for the sad days and some Charlie Parker for the happy, but always keep at least one good spiritual for comfort. You will need a slice or two of meatloaf, and if you can manage it, some fried chicken in a shoebox <laughs> with a nice, moist lemon pound cake, a bottle of beer because no one should go that far without a beer, and maybe a six pack so that if there is life on Mars, you can share. Popcorn for the celebration when you land while you wait on your land legs to kick in. And as you climb down the ladder from your spaceship to the Martian surface, look to your left and there you will see a smiling community quilting a black-eyed pea watching you descend. <laughs> I like that. That's what's what started um, me and NASA. <laughs> and it just went on and on and on and on. I, I've been writing, as, as some of you may notice, <laughs> uh, long poems lately. I don't know why. But you know, you're trying to get information on whatever's going on. I think I need a new pair of glasses. You know how you, and, and you don't, and then they, that's better, isn't it? It is, I, I think I do it. I haven't taken time. I am. Um, I'm a, I'm a um, Jeopardy freak, and I, know, I don't know if you all do Jeopardy, I, I do. And I'm always being amazed at the, the kind of questions that people miss, but I do this for you because you were kind enough to come out on a cold night for me. There was only one state in rebellion in the Civil War that did not have to undergo Reconstruction, and that state was Tennessee. And so people, if you're ever on Jeopardy and you get that right, say, damn, you know. <laughs> you give me a holler, say, Nikki, I really appreciate you, you sharing that. Now we know that it, it didn't happen because of Memphis, because Memphis actually sided, as you know, with Mississippi. And so Memphis didn't have any interest in what was going on. We know it didn't happen because of Nashville, because Nashville is about one thing, and that's money. And no matter how you look at it, no matter what you know about Nashville, even right now, Nashville is about money. The only reason that Tennessee was saved from Reconstruction is because of the Appalachian chain. And we do know, and I think it's fair to say, that the greatest white people in this country are Appalachians. And we know that the people, that's true, that the people that we live with, I live in Virginia, and we know now there's a state called West Virginia, which actually should have been called Kanawha. And Virginia got mad about it and used their power to keep it from being called Canada because they want, still want to act like they have something to do with it. But the people in what we know to be now West Virginia said very clearly, we will not send our sons so that the Shenandoah can have slaves. That's, that's exactly how that happened. And so they broke away. And everybody got mad at them because it was like, you know, you should be on our side, but why should you be on our? Those people have stood for something. And I think that they're great people, but they are the last people on earth, as you well know, they're the last Americans that we can laugh at. You can still call somebody a hillbilly. You can't call me a nigger, you know, put you in jail and under it. But we can still, you can, you can still call somebody a hillbilly. We can still laugh. Snuffy Smith, you can still laugh. Louisa with her big tits and she's fat and, 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 and you know, wallowing around. Everybody, you can still laugh at it. A state with one of, the, uh, one of our richest states, with minerals, with, with everything, has the poorest people. And I think that we, we have just been unforgiving about the fact that these white people got it right and nobody wanted to, to listen to them. 
I am, of course, a native Tennessee, and I was born in Knoxville. So Knoxville, Tennessee, is a part of that chain that has made such a difference. And I, I have a high, 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 high regard for my neighbors in, in, in West Virginia. These are good people. And again, for those of us who are history majors who are studying, we need to study those people. We had a, 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 one of the uh, 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 mining companies dislocated a, a, a boulder. You probably read about it several years ago. And if you can imagine, in the middle of the night, you hear bump, 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 bump. And a man ran out, he had a bunch of kids, he ran out, he got everybody. He thought his wife had the baby, she thought he had the baby. They ran out to get away from him, and of course nobody had the baby. So the boulder smashed the house and killed the baby. Can you imagine? When all you're trying to do is live in the hills and be free. We know that the, the instrument of choice in Appalachia is the banjo. And the banjo is uh, uh, indigenous to West Africa. There's no way that they would have gotten to a banjo without their relationship with the slaves. We know that, that we in the Appalachia have a twang. We, we know that, and you can hear, you can always tell the black people that, that, that are fooling around Appalachia because they got that wang, you know. And no, these, these are good people, and these are people that, that did things. I wanted, I, I wrote a, a poem, and, and I just, it's one of my long poems, and I read a short poem, but this is Tennessean by birth. I'm a native Tennessean, I was born there. During the age of segregation, when you couldn't go to the same amusement park or the same movie theater, when the white guys would cruise up and down the street and call out to you, when the black guys were afraid of being lynched. But we went to church each Sunday and we sang a precious song, and we found a way not to survive, anything can survive, but to thrive and believe and hope. I'm a native Tennessean, I was born there, but I was only two months old when my mother and father moved my sister and me to Cincinnati during the age of segregation, when Dow Drug Stores wouldn't serve us, when neighborhoods were redlined, but at least mommy could get a job uh, teaching and daddy could get a job behind a desk and after all. If you are a college graduate, that's the least you can expect. Though the Pullman Porters took us south each summer and watched over us with an unfailing faith and got us from there to here. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. I was born there in the only state in rebellion that didn't have to undergo reconstruction, in the volunteer state that sent as many for one side as another, in an area where if I just have to have a car breakdown, I would prefer any holler to any city neighborhood but there was no work and no way, and the chronic anguish that flared would chase us to Ohio. We were not lies across on the river, just four people, two in love and two who were loved, who needed to put a rest to the rage. But the rage stayed and someone had to go. I chose me, but I was born there, so the going was a coming. I'm a native Tennessean. I take no joy in Davy Crockett nor Jim Bowie. They were wrong to be at the Alamo. They were wrong to fight for the theft. I love James Adji. I loved Thunder Road, though I, a native Tennessean, was not allowed to play a bit part when the, movie, when the crew came to town to film the movie. Ingrid Bergman and Anthony Quinn came to take a walk in the spring rain. And despite it all, I like Andrew Jackson, at least he knew the big guys were wrong. I'm a native Tennessean. I graduated Fisk University in Nashville. I know that the freedmen paid for that school. Nobody gave them anything, pennies and nickels and prayer and determination. The freedmen paid for it and many others. I know the American Missionary Society took the money the Jubilee Singers made to save Fisk and used it for other purposes. I know the American Missionary Society was wrong. I was educated by the singers of those songs. I love those songs. How could I not love Nashville? How could I not love Dinah Shore, who invited the Jubilee Singers to sing at the Grand Ole Opry, then had to hear those rumors? She sang on, sang until she saw the USA in the Chevrolet. <laughs> I once saw her on a plane I was going to the cabin, she was in first class. I said, hey, she smiled and said, hey, back. 
When I got Georgia on my mind, I rode the Chattanooga Choo Choo to Lookout Mountain. I saw Memphis and was enchanted. From the mighty Mississippi gracefully turning all red to Bell Street Beats at midnight, all those blues from so many bloods decided to turn my blues to Memphis gold. W.C. Handy, Bobby Blue Bland, B.B. King, the late great Johnny A. Stacks and Stacks of Music, American Music, the Athens of the South held Tennessee music, but Memphis put the tears to the lonely and crossed over. Everybody wants to rock to my rhythm. I am Memphis. I heard the shots that took Martin. I know who killed the king. I'm a native Tennessean. I know what it is to be free. I am singing the country blues. I am whittling a wooden doll. I am underground mining coal. I'm running moonshine. I'm a white boy with a banjo, native to West Africa. I'm a black boy with a twang, native to the hills. I am smart. I am cool. I am unafraid. I am free. Yeah, I'm a native Tennessean. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, my kids say I look at too much TV, and uh, they're probably right, because I'm one of those people, I don't know why we do that. I've said that to myself. You know, you, you're home by yourself, and you turn on the television, as if somehow or another that's company. <laughs> and it's not, you know, you're sitting there eating dinner. But I look at, I, I do Jeopardy, because Jeopardy comes on, you know, at, at 7.30. But I also do Deal or No Deal. But you know what I don't understand, and let me be honest about that. I do not understand um, Family Feud. <laughs> I don't know who those 100 people are. <laughs> I, 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 has anybody ever been asked, you know? Who are these? They're the weirdest and the weirdest, aunt, don't they? <laughs> they really are. But deal or no deal, I really, really like because, of course, and I, I say this to you all, I'll I, I do you another favor. If you're ever on deal or no deal, you take the third deal. That's going to be your best deal. I, I watched the show enough to know. You're not going to get any better. <laughs> you're not. And, and you'll say to yourself, oh, I can make more. I actually saw a woman one, one evening turn down $600,000 because she thought she was going to get a million. And I was just like, are you kidding? So I teach at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I said to my class, you know, I was looking at deal or no deal, and they just, they always go, oh, she goes again. And I said, and, you know, this, this crazy woman turned down, you know, 600, can you imagine? I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, that's like going to Vegas. And if you go to Vegas, I don't care what you get in Vegas. If it's positive, quit. Because <laughs> you're not going to get any more from that. And so I was just kind of bitching to my class, you know, like, wow, you know, I don't understand things like that, you know, and I was trying to say something, you know, because we can teach and read poetry and stuff, but I thought, do something practical for the kids, you know, <laughs> so that when they go out in the world, they'll be okay. And I said to the kids, you know, I think that somebody, I think I should be on Deal or No Deal. You know, it's one of those. And I mean, they're my students, and I'm their teacher, and I control their grades, so I, ex <laughs> I expected them to go like, you know, yeah, Nikki, you know, we'll, We'll write a letter and, and get you on Deal or No Deal. And do you know they all said no? You know how you, and it's like, why don't you want me to be on Deal or No Deal? And they were like, we don't want to see you make a fool of yourself. <laughs> because everybody only does, but I, I just couldn't believe, and I was like, I need to share something with you. If you think that the first time in my life that I have made a fool of myself would be on deal or no deal. <laughs> Don't you know I've led a blessed life? <laughs> they had no concept, oh baby, you know, of course I make it. But it, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> let, me, let me be, 
And I went up to my office and I wrote a poem. <laughs> deal or no deal <laughs> for English 27, uh, 47, 14, because I wanted them to know who they are. <laughs> and, uh, and I want them to feel guilty. So specifically CRN16937. Because I thought they should know, they hurt me. I, I just wanted them to say, that's a good idea, Nikki. You know, we're with you or something like that. <laughs> ah. My class is not so sure that I should apply to deal or no deal. <laughs> they think I am lucky, I am after all teaching them. They know I'm smart, they are, for example, learning, yet they don't want to see me make those greedy mistakes and push beyond the envelope. The banker is neither friend nor foe, he's a machine. To think you can beat him is to think you will win at love or Vegas, but I persist. My dream is a red dress above my knees, high heel red sandals, and me coming over the top, the music booming. <laughs> Hi, Howie, I will say. <laughs> you see it with a lovely smile. I don't want to play the game, I want to be it. They were born 40 years after me, yet I am younger. I know you cannot go through life unless you are willing for love or money to make a fool of yourself. Where else does the ecstasy lie? And with that, we have reached the part of our podcast where we turn to our Club Book audience for questions and comments for Nikki Giovanni and her work. In this book club, we like to encourage members and authors to connect and engage and help bridge the gap between the page you read and the process it took to write it. Our first question of the night comes from an audience member wondering if Nikki Giovanni always dreamed of going to Antarctica and why it is important for her to travel. As, uh, first of all, uh, and, and it comes back to what I've learned, but I think being a, a, a Tennessean, growing up in Ohio, and I was always a reader, it was always just the idea of movement. I, I have spent most of my life in movement, and so it's been really interesting to me, but as I got older, I could move around the earth. As I said, I've been to, I've been to uh, everything but Asia and, and Australia, so I've been on five continents, and we did that. And... I think that my, I've always been in love with, with uh, whatever was going on. I like these stars. I grew up in a little town called Lincoln Heights. And that was, you know, we didn't have tall buildings. I always feel sorry for people that grew up in tall buildings because you don't get to see the stars in the same way. And I, I uh, the, the new book is called Surveillance. And uh, it's not going to be out for another couple of years. But whether he meant to or not, my father was a cruel man. And I do know that he loved us, but... I do know that he was a cruel man, and he had other issues that he didn't get resolved. So I spent a lot of my life not being present, because, uh, and I, I've said, uh, I, I've tried, I'm trying to find a way to write about it, I haven't quite found what I want, but um, I, I, you could ask me any, any Saturday, you know, 11 o'clock, well, Nikki, any Saturday night, 11 o'clock, what were you doing? I was listening to my father hit my mother, and so you have to find a way to take yourself away from that. And so I've always dreamed of space, I've always dreamed of another world. And because I like science, I'm a history major. And I know that, that I love, well, I love history. And I know that a lot of, uh, I mentioned uh, West Virginia, because people are surprised if, uh, uh, as a black woman to say what wonderful people these are, because 
they want you to fall into their thing without dealing with, you know, who are you actually encountering? Did I make sense? And I think it's important that um, for me, for my sanity, that I recognize there are things I can't do anything about, but I don't have to, I don't have to be a part of that. And I didn't mention gay marriage, which I should have. I don't, if people are going to get married, I don't see why gays can't. I, I, well, I think nothing dumber on earth than marriage, but <laughs> I don't. But I'm a black American. So if we look at the history, and again, it's just, this is just history. If we look at the history, when we, were brought, when we were brought to America, whites got married, but blacks could not. The slaves could not get married. So the slaves created a ritual. They jumped the broom, right? Then we got to the point we got beyond that because of wars and things like that. And so it was like, okay, they can marry each other, but not us. And so it was illegal for whites and blacks to get married. I live in the state of Virginia, Loving versus Virginia, where Mr. Loving, thinking he was a white man and could do what he wanted to do, wanted to marry a black woman. And they kicked his door down and arrested them. And Loving finally sued, and, and he won. So he won the right for blacks and whites to get married. And it's an amazing thing to me that anybody, blacks or, or whites, are, are now bitching about gays getting married. Because we're always looking for somebody that can't get married, which I'll say again, one of the dumbest institutions on earth. But as long as we put benefit. Well, you know it is, any of you who are married. <laughs> and as long as we, as we privilege institutions, as, as long as we privilege it, then people should be able to get married. I was wondering, who wakes up in the morning being upset because a couple of women or a couple of guys got married? I mean, what the hell does you, you care? And, well, I have that line, you know. I, <laughs> that's true. It is, I hope, a Virginia Tech. And the reason that it is, it's not that I'm being if I get it done, other people will. And you, you guys out here are, are certainly in a great, if, if they send us, they'll send others. The reason that we have it as a Virginia Tech is that we have a budget. And we're trying to bring it in. I'm trying to be able to sit down and say, this is under $100,000. And one of the reasons we don't have to pay anybody is that we all work for Virginia Tech. And that is very, very much important. And it's just a two-week uh, trip. But I'm excited. And, and please, I mean, keep it. We got to get people doing things. And we got to get ordinary. If we don't get the writers to do things, if we don't get the dreamers to do things, then we, we, we're, we're losing the best of it. And I'm not against a scientist. I'm, I'm a fan of scientists. But the scientist, poetry birthed science. Science did not birth poetry. You just, again, that's just, you just look at the history. We were the ones, it was the poets who created mathematics. And people forget that now. So I'm, I'm at a school that we talk about engineering, how important the engineers are important. And I said, I'll tell you, engineer the hell with the engineers. If the poets hadn't been dreaming of how do you put this together, we wouldn't have engineers. And you come up and like, you know what? What is, you, you people don't drink, I, I said that um, all the time, you people don't drink enough. <laughs> they, they, do, they need to have a little more wine, you know, sit down and, and figure out how this stuff comes up. But yeah. I'm. I'm I would, I would love for everybody to go, because it, it's just something. Or if you get a chance, and, and again, I, I, I am offended by the idea of billionaires. And I, I'm, it's, it's just totally offensive, yeah. Because you don't need it. I don't mind people. I, I started my, my, my speech here this day, and it's true. The only time I've been sorry I wasn't rich, and I didn't mean a billionaire. Youngsters like yourself, you should be able to get on a ship and, hell, just wash dishes and be able to go around the world. You should be able to see these things. We, we want, and, and we're here in a library, but we're also here at, at a couple of great universities. And we want these kids to look at the world, and we want the kids to not feel like everybody's after you. Nobody's after you. There's a world out there to be embraced. There are people to make love. I think sex is a good idea. And when I was... 
<laughs> well, it is. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a nice way to get to know somebody, you know. You, I was much younger, I was, <laughs> you know, I'm an old lady now, but I have good memories, and I think things like that. <laughs> I think it's a, that's what we do, and we, we just need to change the way we look at things, and we, we need to dream and go forward, you know? Another audience member wonders what inspires Nikki Giovanni to write. Well, I mean, what, what else am I going to do? <laughs> I'm not organized enough to be in business or anything like that. I'm not. I enjoy teaching because I really like um, the idea. As I said, nothing has thrilled me, and, and I know I, I'm, I'm doing one of these, I'm bouncing on my toes, because nothing has thrilled me as much as Kwame Alexander. And I knew he was good, and I kept watching him grow. And, you know, I'm very good. The reason I'm a good teacher, though my students don't always know that, is that I don't, I don't want anything from them. I want them to grow. I don't, I'm, I don't want them. I'm me. And so I want them to, to be themselves. And the reason that I love that kid so much is that he has found his voice. And I think that I've been a part of embracing him. His father is a general. And his father, of course, was incredibly upset that his son is going to be a writer. And he came up to Virginia Tech. He said that to me, you know, you've ruined my son. I mean, he was upset. And I said, well, General, if your son is ruined, I'd rather doubt that I did it. But. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, it kind of works. <laughs> but now that he's, you know, doing very well, he's bestseller and he's up for some award. I saw General Alexander in, in Charlotte two years ago and he's like, the boy's really good, isn't he? <laughs> so, you, you know, you learn to, to, to do that. But I'm a writer because that's what I am and I enjoy it. And I'm not a selfish person. You don't really know that, but you've heard me tonight. And so I'm just trying to share what I think is the best of me because somebody in this room has something to share. And so I just want to be, if nobody else has, has said that to you, I want to be a part of the people that say, I know you do, and it's a good idea. And don't let your narrow-minded, uh, what did Aretha say? Don't let your low-down friends tell you. <laughs> and so you just, we, we, we need to be encouraging each other to, to, to be more giving and, and to find a way to get, the, the kids have to do something. They just have to do something. And, and we're here, third planet from the Yellow Sun, and several years ago now, well, more than several, probably, 70, I was in my 20s, so 50 years ago. I took the supersonic transport, the SST, and I took it to, um, I, I, I took my mom and my son, we were in Germany. I had to come back to the United States and the only way to get back quickly enough uh, was to take the SST. So I did, but I was thrilled to be able to do it because you're up at 80,000 feet. And at 80,000 feet, you see the curve of the earth. And so then I decided that's the best way to go back because I did what I had to do in the States. And I left mommy and, and Thomas were in, were in Berlin. And so I flew back. And it was just really fascinating to uh, look out the window. And as we came back, you could see Africa. So that's why, I'm, that's a, a, another reason that I really, really would love. I would love, if we do get Antarctica, I would love for NASA to borrow a military plane, because it just be like 12 of us. Because the military planes can go up, you know, actually they can go up almost 100,000 feet. And then the group of us would be able to see what I saw, which is the curve of, of, of the Earth. And that's just a fascinating kind of thing. So I just felt like my job is, is to remind people that life is interesting and, 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 and we, we need to be a part of it and, and we need to keep 
just keep stretching and stretching and stretching. And there are fights, as I said, I'm offended by billionaires because we have too much money concentrated in too few hands and they don't know what to do with it and so they begin to, you know, control us. And, and, and that's just, it's just ridiculous, you know. You can still be richer than me or you can be richer than a lot of us and still re reduce the money so that a kid like that can say, well, I want to get on a boat and I'm going to go or I'm going to go. Remember when people used to go to Europe for the summer? and you didn't have any money. You're just like, mm, I think I'll go and you get on a boat or get on a plane, a couple of thousand dollars, and you meet some people and they feed you and you eat and drink and make love. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you had a life. And now we've got everybody so afraid. And uh, I just think it's not a good idea. I think life is a good idea and, and we have to expand. Our last question of the night comes from a woman wondering if Nikki Giovanni's parents stayed together even though her father was abusive. And how did that experience shape her and her art? I would have, I mean, that's what we're exploring in, in um, that's what I'm exploring in surveillance, that's a part of it. I have no idea, she was saying how did, uh, but I know they loved each other. This is what confused, that's, that's one reason, and, and I laugh because I said nothing, I, nothing on earth will get me to marry anything. <laughs> Probably the closest I'm coming to it is Alex who was my little Yorkie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's the truth. So I don't, I don't know, you know, because I know I spent a lot of time. I had a line in uh, Native Tennessean, that, but the rage stayed in the, and, and someone had to go. I chose me, but the going was a coming. And so I went to live with my grandmother. And of course, I, I adored grandmother. And they used to laugh when I was a little girl before. I didn't go to live with grandmother until I was like 12. But uh, when I was a little girl, I used to trail behind grandmother. And if she would stop, I would hit her. You know, so I, got, I totally adored her, but uh, I don't know because I know I spent. I know anybody that spends as much time not being present. That you asked that question. I spend most of my life not being present because it keeps me from being unhappy. <laughs> Does that make? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I've got it down to a fine art, but it also made me a writer because it, that's what we do as writers. We're not. We're not really present. We're doing something else. I don't know. I just thought I, I wrote a poem, uh, which actually is a very good poem, it's called Nikki Rosa. And in that poem I said all the while I was quite happy, which was quite true. Fifty years later, I don't think that I was unhappy, but I think that there were issues that I was dealing with that I might be old enough now and that I have an insight into that I didn't. Am I making sense? And so I'm trying to find a way not to balance because I don't mind contradictions. People are always saying, you know, you, you, you can't contradict yourself. Of course you can. Life is about contradictions. And I don't mind that. I'm just trying to figure out how I write about something that I know. But I do know that if, if you said, did I have a good childhood, the answer was yes. If, 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 if we said that, that, that we have this problem, the answer is yes. And my older sister, Gary, who's now passed, Gary had friends. I'm not friendly. And so <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so I was always at home. Gary would go up to Brenda's house, or, you know, she had friends. But I, I never did, so I was always a witness. And uh, there's a lot of witness t testimony. You know, we look at the Holocaust, and now, of course, we're bombing people. There's a, there's, there's a lot of witnesses, and I thought, well, if I can deal with what I witnessed, which is not, you know, bombing, but I did witness that boulder coming down on that child, and it's, it's, it's just inconceivable to me that I would be in bed and a boulder would come and kill my baby. It's just inconceivable. And so 
I'm trying to, you know, I witness. I, I have a witness. I, I didn't run away, from, and I'm not saying Gary did, but she's gone. And so we all have to wait till we get to heaven or hell or wherever everybody goes. I'm a big fan of spirits. And so one of the uh, things that, you know, I'd love to be on a ship someplace, just nice glass of champagne, because I think whatever was there is there. It's a question of can we access it? Did I make? And I'm not a fan of drugs because I think drugs block you. I do drink wine, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real fan of wine, and I'm a fan of champagne. But I think if you can sit down in the quiet, the things that are trying to tell you something come. And so we have to be willing to listen to it. And I'm a fan of love, and so I think that people come to you spiritually in love. I don't think anybody comes to you to hate you. I think that, you know, I think they come to love you. And so you're trying to find a way to hear what they're saying. Yeah, but Mommy loved him. So I don't have to do anything about that. Well, that's it from the St. Paul Public Library's Arlington Hills Community Center event with Nikki Giovanni. And that's it for the 2014 Club Book Summer Fall Season, but don't you worry, we will be back. Our 2015 season kicks off on Thursday, February 12th with adventure writer Peter Heller, author of The Dog Stars and The Painter. The entirety of next season's lineup will be announced in early January, so keep an eye out. But while we're gone, Check out our other podcasts from Club Book authors, including Louise Penny, Hampton Sides, Sue Miller, Lev Grossman, J. Courtney Sullivan, and Elizabeth Berg, to name just a few. Visit us online at clubbook.org for details on past and present seasons, sign up for our e-newsletter, check out our calendar, and so much more. We also have photos of previous discussions from this season and past seasons on our Club Book Facebook page. If you're on Twitter, Find us using the handle ClubBookMN. And if you enjoy these free Clubbook events and podcasts, remember to share them with your friends. They just may too. Thanks again to all those who make Clubbook possible, including MELSA, Library Strategies, and Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Our sponsors include Minnesota Public Radio, MinPost, Around Town Agency, the Crown Plaza Hotel, St. Paul Riverfront, and Common Good Books where you can purchase all the books featured in Club Book. Finally, a very special thank you to all the libraries hosting events this season. This Club Book discussion honors the memory of Chris Olson, director of MELSA and longtime literacy supporter. And that's it for Club Book, the coolest club in town. We'll see you at the library. <laughs>